You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome to 3AM, where we discuss and dissect the supernatural. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Hatch. What's the scariest thing you've encountered? That's been one of our favorite questions for years. 3AM is the result of asking this question over and over again. Stories we share are typically sourced from those we know, our listeners, and personal experience, the validity of which can be determined by you, the listener. While we may not have all the answers, we find the culture and lore surrounding paranormal events and unnatural occurrences fascinating. We hope you enjoy. This is the 3AM Podcast. My name is Charlie. This is DJ. And this is Sean. Coming at you live and large. We're happy to be back. Mm -hmm. We're starting to get back on the roll, putting out these episodes. So, Dude, let's just jump into it. Do you want to go first since you have it fresh on your mind? Sure. Gang, gang. This story comes from a friend of mine. His name is Travis. And he was born and raised here in Utah. And this story is about Travis's cousin. And they adopted two kids. Brother and sister. Brother was really young. Sister was, I believe, a teenager. And... They were adopted because they were abused by their father. Mm. So CPS took them out. Here they are. They adopted them, brought them home. And the kids, especially the daughter, suffered from a lot of, I guess she had PTSD from all of her experiences with her, her father abusing her, uh, in every way possible, mm-hmm. verbally, physically, sexually. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a challenge, but they were happy to be with their new family. Their family took real good care of them. But along with this PTSD that she had, uh, it came with these terrible dreams. And she would tell her, her parents, her new parents, you know, there's these men that watch me while I sleep. And it feels like they want to hurt me. This goes on for quite some time until one night the mother walks in on the daughter because the daughter is calling for help. And as she walks into the room, she sees three men staring at the girl. They turn and they look at her and the mom yells at them to get out and there was one of these men she describes it as this man was the leader and he looked like he was in charge he looks at her and he opens his mouth wide open and just screams oh gosh just a shriek and She yells at them again to get out and almost like casts them out, you know? Yeah. They disappear. Obviously, they're terrified. The mother and the daughter, they say a prayer and mentions that she never wants to hear that scream again. The daughter said that? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. 
She never wants to hear the scream again. So a couple weeks later, the mom and dad are sleeping. She's woken up by a phone call from one of her siblings who knows the whole situation, you know, about the children and the adoption and where they came from. And the sibling says on the phone, I don't know why I got this, but you need to go check on your daughter right now. And the mom was pretty shaken up by this. And she tells him, I really don't want to go. Oh no, she's scared. Yeah, she's super scared. And she's like, you have to go right now. She needs your help. So she goes, she opens the door and the three men are there again. And she tries to cast them out again. And this leader of the three men looks at her again, opens his mouth wide to scream, but there's no sound. So just silent screaming? Just silent. She casts them out and they pray that they will come back. A couple weeks go by again. And as they're putting the daughter to sleep, they see the three men outside the window. So it's almost like their prayers are kind of (laughs) working, getting better every time. (laughs) You got to be specific, dog. (laughs) Don't come back and be a hundred yards from my house. (laughs) Put a restraining order on these ghosts, bro. (laughs) Yeah. Um, However, it works on the other side. A prey straining order. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, oh, damn, we can't be 500 feet away from (laughs) the school, bro. (laughs) Um. So they see them outside the window. They pray again. They disappear. And this keeps happening. Each time they get further and further away. Um, I personally believe that your ancestors protect you. Hmm. And they watch over you. Mm-hmm. And I've seen Mulan. Oh, yeah, bro. <laughs> Fa. Fa. Mulan. Speaking. Or. Er. Present speaking without permission, <laughs> but I honestly believe that that's something that's big in Hawaiian culture. Mm-hmm. Like if if you've seen Moana, the grandma is in the stingray, mm-hmm. and in Hawaiian culture, we believe that's our almakua. Basically, your ancestors, like your family, has an almakua or like an animal that watches over you and protects you. So for Moana's family, is a stingray. Do you have a Amakua? Yeah. Um, on one side of the family, it's the shark. Ooh. On the other side of the family, it's the Hawaiian hawk. Ooh. So. Land and s- <laughs> wait, sea and air, dog. <laughs> yeah. So, um, apparently they included this in one of their prayers for their family to watch over them. Okay. And as they're coming home one night, they see men standing outside of the house. And they're like, do we need to have another one of these prayers, you know, to cast out these people? Um, But they look at them and they're familiar faces. And one is the grandpa. The other is the great grandfather. Um, And they're standing outside the house. Um, And after that, they never see the three men in her bedroom again. That was the experience of the daughter. Hmm. The brother, who was younger, has an experience before they were adopted and they were still living with their abusive father. One night he wakes up to somebody shaking him. 
gently, you know, saying, wake up, wake up. Hmm. He doesn't, he's like all groggy. Disoriented. Yeah. Open, trying to open his eyes. He's like squinting. And it's this older man. And the man says, come with me. We need to get out. So as a child, he just listens. Okay. He's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Takes him by the hand. He's on the second story of the house. Climb down a ladder out the window. And then they're walking through the street. This is in the middle of the night. Cars are passing them. And he's just holding this man's hand. Just walking down the street. Then the cops pull up. And they get out of their car. And they approach the kid. And they're like, they ask him, why are you here? And he says, this man told me that I needed to follow him and get out because it wasn't safe. And the cops say, what man? There's oh no one here gosh. with you. So they take him back home. And that was the end of that story. A couple years later, they're adopted. He mentions something about a ladder he sees in their new family's garage. And how it looks oddly specific. And it looks like the ladder that the that he used years ago to escape and get out of the room. Uh-huh. The night that they drive home and they see their grandpa and grand, grand, or great-grandfather standing outside, he points one of them out. He says, that was the man who led me out of the house, tried to rescue me. And they all believe that, you know, it's almost like they were meant to be with this family. Yeah. And like they were already chosen. Yeah. That grandpa like passed away long before like that incident happened, Mm. you know? So dude, sometimes family isn't always blood. It was almost like really sweet to hear that. Yeah. It's almost uplifting. We probably should have saved that (laughs) to the end. (laughs) All right. What evil story you got now, Charles? (laughs) I think adoption is hard enough, but then when you start adding in ghosts and demons and stuff, good hell. I'd be like, did we keep the receipt on these kids? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get a return back, real quick. Going back to Annie in the orphanage. <laughs> nah, just but, My mom was adopted, so shout out to all those orphans out there. It's just crazy because it's like she was already haunted by the very real past real of her demons. father yeah yeah you her know, dad yeah abusing her and then she got these ghosts man i wonder if that says something i i bet and this is just a theory but i bet experiences like that and drugs and things like that kind of leave you open or maybe demons and things like that can sense almost like you're weak, almost like blood in the water. And so they're attracted to things like that. Cause I feel like, I feel like that's, I don't know, pretty common in stories is like, you know, I don't know. So I had, I had a story planned for tonight that I was going to read. Um, I still might do it, but as I was going to sleep last night, I get a text and I look at it and it's from my cousin and he goes, dude, call me. Um, and I was like, no, I'll call you in the morning. So I called him in the morning <laughs> and he goes, for some reason, I totally forgot about this story. And the second I thought about it, 
I had to tell you. And he told it to me, so I'm going to tell it now. So this story comes from my cousin, and it happened to his friend. And so this is back when they were probably, you know, 15, 16 years old, right? Um, my cousin and his friends grew up in Las Vegas, and something they did one summer, they got really into playing night games. Did y'all ever do that in Hawaii? Like Capture the Flag or Fugitive, anything like that? I've played all of them, yeah. So his group of friends got super into it. Um, there, he said it was probably six weekends in a row that they were playing hide and go seek sardines, capture the flag. That's the best. That's like memories. Hell yeah. Yeah. Memories. Dude, when you just don't have nothing to care about except for your game of hide and seek. That's yeah. the best. <laughs> um, so this, this happened on like the one weekend my cousin didn't go. Usually they played sardines at my cousin's house because it is massive. Um, but they had another friend who was really wealthy. And so he had a huge house. So a group of five of them decide to go play sardines at this mansion. Now, if you don't know what sardines is, it's basically the opposite of hide and seek. So instead of one person looking for everyone, it's everyone looking for one person. So one person goes and hides and everyone splits up and looks for that person. Once you find that person, you just hide as close as you can to them, all, all squished up like a sardine until the last person to get there. And the last person loses their next round. So the, the friend that they decide to go play at his house, his parents are out of town. And they have this huge house. So they're like, perfect. Turn off all the lights. It's pitch black. And they start playing these games. So my cousin's friend... They're playing sardines and eventually it's his turn and he's really good friends with this friend. So he knows the house super well. And he's when they're like, okay, you're it. You time to go hide immediately. He's thinking, okay, where's the best place? And he remembers that he had scouted this spot previously when they were hanging out another day. And he, he thought this will be the best spot. So it's upstairs in his friend's little brother's room. And his friend's little brother has this bed and the bed is up against two walls and it has drawers under it. So there's no like actual space under the bed. There's drawers that pull out from under the bed, mm -hmm. but the drawers don't go all the way back to the wall. So if you're able to get behind almost the bed, there's a thin crawl space you can slide into behind these drawers. Dude, that makes me feel all claustrophobic. But when you're a kid, you don't care about Dude, he's like just kids don't to really win, have dog. claustrophobia, yeah? Like, they're tiny so they can fit in the space and it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, yeah. The only thing that usually happens to me when I used to play hide-and-go-seek is the second I would hide, I just had to pee. I had to pee so <laughs> bad is that? every time. Make me so mad, bro. You're like, I found the perfect spot. And you get there and you just like instantly like, oh, crap. I think there was one time where I peed a, a little bit just to relieve myself, <laughs> but I was in it to win it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Dedication. <laughs> Okay, so they start counting. The house is pitch black. He goes up to this room and he gets up to it and there's almost a dresser that blocks the entrance to this crawl space. And if you were in the room, you would not be able to see it. Even if you walked up right to it, you would have to literally like put your head down in to see in this place. So he decides to go in backwards. So he shimmies his like legs up and shoves them into this dark cavern. 
behind the bed. And how he's situated, he can see just a crack. And he can see probably three feet up to the door. So he can see the door through his little crack and he can see three feet of the door. So like if someone were to run by, he could see their legs, right? Yeah. Perfect. He's like, this is great. I'm going to win. And he's determined to beat him. So he hears, you know, ready or not, here we come. And he hears noises throughout the house. They're searching. Several times as he's laying there, people walk into the room. They look in the closet. You know, they look under the desk and they leave. And then another person comes in, looks, you know, tries to look behind the dirty clothes hamper or, you know, up on the shelves and then leave. And he can hear him moving throughout the whole room. And he said, honestly, 20 to 30 minutes he laid there. And then the noises started dying down. And then the house is quiet. And he's laying there. He's like, I wonder when they're going to give up. And as he's laying there, he's kind of daydreaming a little bit, wondering when they're going to give up. And he looks back at the door. And on the right side of the door, he can see the silhouette of what looks like someone standing there. And so he locks on and he's staring at it. And he says, super slowly and deliberately, he sees two feet shuffle into the middle of the doorway. And so he gets really quiet, holds his breath. (gasps) And these two feet shuffle into the room and deliberately straight line to where he can see, like at the edge of the bed. So he's laying there until the feet are right in front of where his eyes can see. And all he can see is like pant legs. And it's a dark silhouette. The house is so black he can't make out any detail other than this person is wearing pants. And the person stands there. So he's holding his breath, determined not to get caught. And as he's looking at the legs, silence. But he can see through the legs, the crack of the legs, another person is standing at the, at the doorway. And they go, they slowly start shuffling into the room until they're standing in the middle of the room. So he's lying there, dead silent, staring at these legs. When he said the one closest to him made a quiet noise, almost like a laugh. Just went, huh. And then turned and both of them walked out. He said, he's kind of perplexed. He's like sitting there bewildered. What the heck just happened? And not 20 seconds passed when he heard his friend downstairs yell, we give up. Where are you? Come out. We give up. So he thinks nothing of it. He thinks nothing of it. Climbs out of his hiding place, runs downstairs, and they're like playing Call of Duty. You know, all five of them. Or all four of them because he was the fifth. They're playing Call of Duty, all four of them, because he's the fifth one. And he's like, they're like, dude, where were you? And he's like, I was upstairs behind your little brother's bed in that tiny crawl space. And like, dang, dude, I thought about, I was going to look in there. And he's like, yeah, uh, who was just up there like a minute ago? And he goes around the room and they're not, they're looking at him. And they're like, dude, we've been down here for like 10 minutes playing Call of Duty. Like, we gave up. And he goes, no. Like, a minute ago, someone was in that room. 
And at first, everyone's like, what are you talking about? Like, no, no, no. But he convinces them, and he's dead serious. He's, who was in that room? And his friend's like, you cannot F around right now. We were all down here. And he's like, I'm telling you on my life, there was two people in that room and one of them like laughed. And so his friend starts freaking out because he believes them. And they're like, okay. He said, he said, once this happened, once it started sinking in, every time he replayed the scene in his head, it got creepier and creepier because he originally thought it was his friends. Mm -hmm. But now all of them are claiming it wasn't them. So he watched two people and one of them knew exactly where he was. And so they turn on the lights, the kid who it was his house. He's like, this isn't funny, man. My parents are out of town. We got to search the house. They turn on all the lights, search every room. And the bad thing is every door is unlocked to the house. He left them all unlocked because, you know, they all got there at different times, you know? So they freak out. They run around and lock the doors. Next, they turn on the, the lights outside. They go out in the backyard, and the gate to the backyard is open. And not only is it open, it's open so far that it's like dug into the rocks near it. Like someone pulled it open. Yeah, yeah. So he goes around, he goes, and everyone at that point is serious, and they're scared. Did anyone open this gate? And all of them, no, no. So... All of them said no. So the friend is sufficiently freaked out. And he's like, all of you have to spend the night. I'm not staying here alone. <laughs> he's like, there's no way in hell. That's like when we would watch scary movies at, when we were all roommates, yeah. we would watch a scary movie. And then you two would go to sleep in your rooms. <laughs> he's like, how about we sleep? No, that was Jordan. I just didn't want to say it. <laughs> Jordan's always like, how about we all sleep in the living room tonight? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, dude, let's do that. <laughs> You're like, fine, I guess. Yeah, so me and Jordan are on the couches. and <laughs> Well, pretty much same thing. They all go back inside. They put on a, a lighthearted movie, and they're all hanging out. All the lights are on. And uh, around 12 o'clock, the phone rings. And the guy who owns the house goes into the kitchen and grabs the phone and comes back and he's like, guys, look. And he shows him the phone and it's just ringing. And it says, unknown caller. And he's like, okay, it's probably a telemarketer, but this is weird. It's at 12 o'clock and all of them are like, do not answer it. Answer it. <laughs> answer the phone. So they don't answer it. Yeah. <laughs> Get some closure. Like my, my cousin's friend was saying, this kind of messed him up for a while because he sat there and like, it didn't sink in, but every time he replayed the scene over, over in his head, it was creepier and creepier. And there was more questions because either two of his friends are lying to him and are till this day, or there was two people in that house who knew exactly where he was hiding and were playing some sort of game or an apparition or ghost. But every single one of those answers, like, is not a good one. And he, yeah, he said it wasn't scary at the time, but since then, it's like the scariest thing that's ever happened to him. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small, 
when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light, lightness in my heart, my head, my emotions. If that's something that you are needing, if that's something that's missing, uh, give therapy a try. Give BetterHelp a try. Uh, we want to hook you up um, by getting it off your chest uh, and it be a little lighter on the wallet. Uh, go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am and you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3AM. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts, or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. We should become friends with that dude, and after a year of hanging out with him, we're like, bro, let's play let's play sardines, man. <laughs> You're just it. Like, just, just like when we were kids. You, you should go hide. That's the most fun role. <laughs> uh, my cousin said he told him that super late at night. And they were like sitting on the front steps of his house. And he's like, I didn't drive here. So he, he's like, I lived like half a mile away, but he's all, can you give me a ride? I don't care if it's like down the street. He's like, I'm not walking home alone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Dang. There was a, so my hometown, it's called Temple Valley. There's this huge cemetery in my hometown. It's actually really beautiful. And we went there last year when you guys came to Hawaii. Um, It just sits in this green, lush valley. And when it rains, there's like waterfalls everywhere in the mountain. And I Not to over-reference, but just picture Montanui, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up, you know, looking at those waterfalls outside my bedroom window. Um, and the cemetery has a part in it called the Byoto in Temple. And it's like an old Japanese uh, Buddhist temple. It's a huge golden statue of Buddha inside. And go in, take your sandals off, and light some incense. And just kind of enjoy being there. Mm. And when we were kids, we would walk there at night and it's pretty creepy i mean it's a cemetery you know to begin with um and everything that was really pretty about that area you couldn't see because it was nighttime you know so (laughs) we're just in the cemetery at the biodo in temple and there's this huge bell and you can ring it like a gong with this log that you pull back with a rope and you let go of the rope the log hits the bell and if you listen closely, you can hear that bell from my house. And my house is maybe like two miles away from it. Mm-hmm. A it's mile huge, or two. that bell. Yeah, the bell is massive. Um, 
I remember we were there. And we weren't kids, but we were like teenagers. Um, maybe around 13 or 14. And there's a couple of us. And we're walking around the close to the Byodo Inn Temple. And there's this bridge that goes over to it. And from the bridge to the bell, maybe 40 yards. And as right when we get to the other side of the bridge, we see the log and it's, it's at nighttime and we can barely see this, but we see the log pull back, bro. <laughs> and let go by and itself, r- by itself and ring the gong and we just run. <laughs> And none of us had cars. We didn't have our license. We weren't old enough. So we went, we ran all the way back home. <laughs> I was just winded. And there could have been, it was so dark. There probably was somebody there. Dude, what? But At night? it was, yeah, it, it was just, it was crazy. That's wild. That would be terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What made you think of that? Just like being the young boys? Uh, Yeah. Like about your cousin who he was lucky enough to get a ride home. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> <He ain't running> <laughs> <home>. <laughs> All right. For my next one, I'm going to do something that I have not done before. And that's read a story. So this was sent to me when I was in the Philippines. And it was sent to me by my aunt. She goes, I feel like this is right up your alley. So I clicked on it and read it, and I really liked it. And so this is written, submitted um, by a person who is a former paramedic. So he talks about enough time has gone by, he wants to share this story. And this story is something that happened to him that people asked him to repeat everywhere. Every time there was a new firefighter or EMT, everyone said, Tell me what happened. Paramedics and first responders have honestly and truly like some of the most horrifying stories ever. I couldn't do it straight up. There's an ask Reddit thread. It's first responders of Reddit. What's the worst thing you've ever witnessed? Damn. Do you want to ruin your day? Go there. The one that got me the worst was a paramedic who got to the scene of a car crash it was a convertible. Oh, God. The convertible s- trigger, flipped upside down. Trigger warning. The convertible flipped upside down and dragged like 30 <sighs> yards. Gosh. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so what was your story, dude? <laughs> and the end. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah, so needless to say, they have gnarly stories. Um, one of my friend's best friend's mom was a nurse in the ER unit for... A long time and just we would all share scary stories and then she would share her stories and all of us would just be in silence trying to wrap our head about around what she just told us mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway so this story he said he'd been asked to repeat so many times he's just gonna write it down and and post it and hopefully people appreciate it so next time someone asks him he'll just send them the link <laughs> yeah cool that's efficient so he says this happened to him, to him, like I said, quite a bit a while ago. The shift started at 1900, and our shift ended at 0700 the following day. He had a partner or like someone he was working with named Brandon, 
and they worked the same unit at the same time for quite a while. So it was a busier unit. They got along really well. He says probably too well. Oftentimes he said, I can't believe we didn't get fired for what we do. Like they played around a lot, right? Mm -hmm. One of their favorite things was to try to get the number from the nurses and piss them all off, things like that. Basically, they were just always laughing, which sounds like an ideal situation to try and make light of, I'm sure, the heavy things you're seeing constantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of our good friends, Hunter, he actually is an EMT now. And he said, like, everyone jokes you just have to joke like you you see the worst things so they gotta do things to keep their morale high yeah you that just gotta sense. like let it slide off your shoulders <laughs> Dude, yeah no but you just gotta do like anything you can to to you know move on not let it hold you down right so they said something that they would do a lot is they would play the circle game and punch each other in the arm you know the circle game it's like you hold your hand in a circle below your kneecap and oh. if someone looks you punch them yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so they'd play that a lot okay i thought you meant they just stand in a circle and <laughs> punch each other <laughs> like bro that's lame <laughs> so their area was on the outskirts of downtown he's not going to say the city but it's as southwest as you can get in the u.s before you're in mexico el paso, el paso. <laughs> so there's some guesses out there all right so one night there was a really large incident that happened but it happened while they were unloading a one of their patients and so rather than going to the large incident they were called to cover another ambulance's shift who was responding to that incident the ambulance that they were or taking over for though was in charge of this area that was way out super rural so he says it's basically Tijuana out there. Like the radio even changed from English to Spanish. It's way far out there. So Brandon said he knew of a 24-hour taco shop. They stopped there to grab some food, right? <clears throat> um, he said, I bet him $20 that he couldn't eat a burrito in less than two minutes. And he literally watched him inhale it. And that reminds me of Sean, if anyone cares. <laughs> But as he's inhaling it, this doesn't remind me of Sean. He choked on a piece of carne asada (laughs) and it came out his left nostril. (laughs) Anyway, but as they're doing this, he's choking and coughing and he's laughing at him choking and cough. They hear the radio. Medic 11 responding. So they run to their ambulance and they look at it. Um, the guy who's telling the story, it's his turn that night to, to be on patient. So he takes care of the patient and Brandon's driving, right? So they get the location. They start going to where it says, and it's taking them even further out. So he's like looking at the computer, which has kind of a message of what they're going into. And all he can see is one word that sticks out to him. And on the screen written, it says, demons Fuck. <laughs> but he's looking at it and he kind of says yo this says demons to brandon and they're like what and they just whatever so they both roll their eyes and at that point they're like okay this is a hundred percent just going to be some bs call it's going to be a schizo or someone on drugs so it was a long response i mean we were the closest unit and I think we were about 10 to 15 miles away. It was way out in the desert. So we pull off the highway and we start going down this dirt road towards this house. 
It was probably the only house within 20 miles. As we roll up to the property, my initial assessment of the scene was, this is creepy as hell. There's no cars out front. It was pitch black outside, and the house was glowing by candlelight. You could literally see every window of the house glowing orange, and you could see what looked like hundreds of candles inside. So we pull up, and they instantly start making demon jokes. (laughs) 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 So they radioed, we're on the scene, and we start knocking on the screen door. We're on the scene. Yep, hella demons. (laughs) (laughs) Baphomet's out front. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so they walk up, and there's a screen door, and the front door is wide open so they can see into the house. They start knocking on the screen door. As they're knocking, they're hit by the smell that's coming out of the house, and it smells like this thick incense. And then this tiny Mexican lady comes. She's sweating profusely. And she lets them into the house. She speaks no English. As she's letting them into the house, they're looking at her. She's super distraught. She's holding a rosary and she's repeatedly making the sign of the cross and just praying. Like, Jesus Christ de Nazareth, Madre Maria. And she's freaking out. So she's holding the rosary. She's repeatedly making the sign of the cross. And as he walks in, he looks and there's literally candles everywhere. Right when they walked in, it was like 30 degrees hotter in the house. So he starts to sweat. There's even like puddles of wax dripping places. So she takes us into the living room and there's a 20 year old man convulsing in the middle of the floor. The lady raised her voice and starts slapping me and she points over on the other side of the room and there's a snake coiled up lying there. So she points the snake, she's screaming and she makes this motion with her hands like the snake bit his arm and pointing at the man and the man's just seizing up and convulsing on the floor so now they have to upgrade the call since it's a rattlesnake bite victim they have to like call in and say you know escalate it like uh we're gonna need backup we're gonna need help right it's a lot more than what they thought so they requested fire so that they could help us out and remove the snake. The snake was probably nine to 10 feet away from the patient and seemed relaxed and not agitated at all. Um, so we started, I grabbed the arm and I start looking for the location of the bite so I could start treatment. And as I'm setting up the O2, we start hearing something from the house. There's screaming coming down from the hall. And he said, this wasn't normal screaming. This was screams I've never heard in my life. I looked at the little Mexican lady and she just looks as concerned as I do. Her eyes are wide and she's staring back at him. He said the screams sound like fatigued, last resort type screams. Brandon decides he's going to go down the hallway and I radio for the police. So Brandon disappears into the black hallway. I wait for him and all of a sudden I see Brandon basically sprinting towards me. And he runs in, he grabs me by the collar, and he starts pulling me out of the house. I'm like, dude, what the F are you doing? I'm trying to take care of this guy. And he pulls him, points at the ambulance, and says, get in. So he jumps in the ambulance, I jump in, he locks the door and closes it, and Brandon's kind of losing it, and he just keeps repeating, this is is effed up, bro. This is super effed up. 
When I can finally get him to calm down, I ask him what's going on. He answers me and I'll never forget this. He, he turns to me and says, I just saw a man eating his own hand. So Brandon went down the hall, turned into the first bedroom he could see and said there was a guy standing in the corner with a bloody nub. And he had blood all over his face and hands. Brandon landlines dispatch on his cell phone and told them what was going on. As we wait, the little Mexican lady comes out and falls to her knees. She's crying and waving her arms for us to come to her. Butthole perk factor is at full capacity at this point. (laughs) Yeah, so fire finally shows up and we get some confidence back strength in numbers type thing so we felt way less scared there's you know all these firemen there with them so we all go into the house the captain puts the snake in a sack we get the snake bite victim all hooked up in the engine medic beelines for the hallway after we tell him about the guy bleeding in the first bedroom the engine medic comes back and is like i'm not going in that room the captain stops blowing out the candles and goes down the hall and just starts screaming whoa 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 so they can hear the captain down the hall just screaming instant goosebumps everyone's freaking out that mother effer just floated the captain swears he walked into the bedroom and the guy was like four feet off the ground spinning brandon and i look at each other as if to say what the hell is happening right now cops show up they detain the, the combative guy who's biting his arm who just floated We get the snake bite victim into our ambulance right before the captain almost requests a helicopter to have him airlifted due to the distance of the hospital. Um, We got them all loaded up and we just bolt lights and sirens. We get the F out of there. Brandon's driving. I'm in the back of the rig with the patient. And at first I couldn't tell if it was the lighting inside or the ambulance or what, but the patient looked much better. Like he was almost fine. His skin was good. His heart rate was normal. He was sort of just staring at me. Hmm. I looked everywhere I could within reason and found no snake bite or even signs of a snake bite. He just laid there on the gurney all peaceful and quiet, just kind of staring at me. (laughs) So we offload him and he talks about it's a while before the situation just sinks in to what really happened. Since they were technically still covering this district, they had to return to quarters or the fire station and catch back up with the fire crew from the call. The fire crew said the same thing, that the guy was biting his arm, and as soon as they left the house and got into the next ambulance, he started freaking out that his hand was missing, like he wasn't even aware of it before. One of the firefighters was Mexican and spoke Spanish and said that the little old lady said that these two guys just appeared in her house. So she's watching TV, it's normal, no candles are lit. And these guys pop up in her house. She said they were speaking like the devil. So she called 911 and did all that she could think of to do. And she just started lighting candles and reciting Hail Marys. And burning sage. So the captain, the captain, the guy who ran in the room and saw him uh, levitating, he, he was like the most messed up after this. Um, Basically, he was having an existential crisis after this. Like, he couldn't compute what he saw. So, he said the guy was floating and just kept flipping over and over. So, when he walked in the room, the man was like five feet off the ground, just flipping over and over. A few weeks go by, 
and we get information from one of the responding officers that both of the guys were from Mexico. Both stated that they went to bed that night in their own room, in their own house, but when they woke up, they were in this lady's house. Then we all started getting really into this. Like, we're all trying to figure it out. Everyone at the station, right? Or, sorry. He says, I know exactly what I saw. It definitely changed my perception of things. Call it religion or supernatural. It's creepy as hell. And creepy as hell because it was real. So, what are your guys' initial thoughts? She lit all those candles and called 911. She could have just threw a chancla at them and they would (laughs) have gone away. (laughs) so this story is one of those stories where like the comments are just as fun as the story Mm. so people start going off and that's what a lot of people point to they're like wait this lady's story doesn't add up and so a lot of people in the comments don't think she's as innocent as she's pretending yeah they're calling her bs yes oh before we get into the comments he made an edit because so many people started responding to him um So this is just an update. He says, drugs, negative. Both of our patients were discharged from the ER the same night. There was nothing in their system, and they were booked and put in jail. News, there was no news coverage. A, probably because no one cares. It's a rural area. And B, um, they were just professionals doing their job. So it's like they weren't going to make a big hubbub about it. Yeah. Addressing the fact of whether or not this is real, he says, it really happened. I could have told you the version the guys tell people at the department today. Um, It's basically like a game of telephone and their version is all kinds of scary and BS and like bloated up. But Mm -hmm. what I told you is actually what happened. Um, Last, he touches on a subject known as brujaria. You ever heard of that? No bells. So he says brujaria. No, I can't do it. Brujaria. I didn't want to mention it because of a lot of folk, a lot of folks aren't familiar with it. I wasn't beforehand, but yes, there were signs of brujaria. There were voodoo dolls or something that was basically like a bundle of sticks tangled and a pentagram. So basically people in the comments are going through different theories. A lot of them are with drugs. Um, but like he said, the toxicology came back negative. They're trying to figure out like their actions, right? And a lot of them were like drugs, bath salts, methamphetamine, but it came back negative. Um, One person said, my mom's a nurse. She once saw a patient who had bit a hole in their forearm because they thought something was in there. I can't find the comment, but basically, like you, DJ, everyone's suspicions in the comments start turning to the old lady. And so some of them start touching on the subject known as brujaria. Brujaria. Yeah. Expound. Sean? Did a little bit of research on brujaria for you. Dope. Um, I actually looked at brujaria and santeria at the same time, and it's kind of the same difference as hoodoo and voodoo. So voodoo mm. is the actual religion. Hoodoo is the more witchcrafty part. Okay. And in this scenario, santeria is the actual religion based off of a mixture of Afro-American immigrants and Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And they pull from the saints from Catholicism. And basically, 
worship the saints, expecting something in return. And then Bruharia is witchcraft. And really there's no like common theme in the way that they run their ceremonies. Like so it's, it's like all open and different in things? There will be like some the symbols that are the same, some materials that are the same, but the way that they run them is different mm. based on whatever they want to accomplish or uh, what they're doing. I don't know. But Bruharia is the actual witchcraft portion, and it's also pulling from that Catholicism. So it has a lot to do with that and the Afro-American immigrants mm. and Mexican as well. So it pulls from all of that. Yeah. Bruja in Spanish means witch. And so that's something I grew up hearing just because I have a, a lot of Mexican friends back home. But they are terrified of brujas, you know, witchcraft. Makes sense. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone in the comments, their fingers start pointing at the old lady. And a lot of it was like the presence of sage and candles and just her timeline doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So this is just some random user's input, but I thought it was pretty good. He goes, throwing out any type of logical reasoning, are there any experts in paranormal that can try to explain what might have been happening from a non-rational viewpoint. So he wants to know, yo, if there's anyone out there who believes in the supernatural, what do you think happened? Mm -hmm. And then this person, air code taken, he says, the lady probably practiced some sort of santeria or brujaria, which basically draws demonic forces into the house. So we could guess, we could guess this by the prayers and the amount of candles present in the house. The hardest part would be determining if the two males really came out of nowhere. If they really did come out of nowhere, then my best guess is that they were possessed before getting into the house and the demons inside of them had some sort of plans regarding the old lady, probably some type of ritual, torture, murder, you name it. But I don't think the guys just showed up out of nowhere to the house because how would the old lady have so much time to light so many candles with the guys trying to hurt her? So she is most definitely lying about that part. What I believe actually happened might be that they were there with her trying to do the type of ritual, maybe a seance or an invocation of an evil spirit or demon. The presence of the snake indicates the latter since as we all know, snakes are representations or a symbol of the demonic realm and are often used in satanic rituals. With that in mind, she probably didn't have what it would take to control whatever demon she had summoned and it began to attack or possess the men. The reason it didn't attack the old lady probably could be as simple as she felt at some point the demon was no longer under her control so she began praying which could have shielded her somehow from the demonic force. As for the floating guy and the screams they heard, it would be considered trickery used by the demon to scare people off from the place and continue with its plan or goal. Also, it is said that demons can possess those who are weak of mind, so fear is a good tool to debilitate them. In, the ca in this case, the demon wanted to possess the responders. So um, that's this person's take. They're an atheist. They don't believe in any of that. <laughs> yeah i think that lady was in on it for sure 
Dude, totally. If it was just the dudes, why would they go in and mutilate themselves and not do anything to the old lady? Dude, none of it. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. That theory that he put forth I thought was pretty good. I liked it. Yeah. For those who don't know, um, we posted it to our IG. But So last week, we have a group text, and I got a text from our landlord. And so I forwarded it to our group text. And basically, there's people who live above our studio where we record. But our landlord says, hey, just a heads up, the people above you have been having weird occurrences happen. And they asked me to ask you if you guys have been playing with any Ouija boards. And so I was like, no, what happened? And he said, so there's three people who live above us. And basically what happened was one of them was sleeping And as she's sleeping, she hears a noise. So she wakes up and as she's sitting there, she hears an even louder noise come from the bathroom. And so she's pretty freaked out. So she goes in there, turns on the light and her shampoos and conditioner had like all fallen to the floor. So she's just sitting there kind of taking it in, like puts them back, goes to get back and gets in bed and she's trying to go to sleep. And as she's about to fall asleep, she hears another noise. And this time it's a light jiggle at the doorknob. And so she's immediately wide awake, looks at the doorknob. And she said, and this is quote unquote, the doorknob jiggle escalated to the point where it sounded like someone was forcibly trying to get into my room. So she's terrified. In the morning, she asked the two other people, hey, did any of you try to get into my room last night? And both of them were like, no. You know, They were both dead asleep. It was in the middle of the night. Anyway, so they're all creeped out. <laughs> they're <laughs> wondering what we're talking about on their podcast. We have not been using a Ouija board. Hell yeah, we've been playing with Ouija boards, bro. <laughs> <laughs> nah, dude. <laughs> Hello, goodbye. <laughs> but anyway, so hopefully they continue to let us record here. We'll see. <laughs> Guys, if you want to send us in stories please send them in to the email or DM us 3am podcast stories at gmail.com. Like we said earlier, we're just getting back into the role of things since uh, most of the group was away on their, their trip to Southeast Asia for almost a month. Yeah. So thanks for your patience, but uh, yeah, we have a good amount of stories to share still. I'm excited. Um, but we're also still looking for more at the same time uh, to share them with you. Uh, So send those in. And um, for the ones who stayed, bye, lovey, be safe. Trust your gut, watch your back. Thanks for coming through. Thanks for listening. Peace.
I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 